0: If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated.
1: Abuela, listen to what my phone can do.
0: Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer.
1: Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva.
0: Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend.
1: Huh? You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to
0: Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer.
2: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
1: of a detour.
0: Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorne. As the Titanic sank into the icy depths of the Atlantic, did the band really play on on deck? And is it true that the cruise liner could have stayed afloat if it had hit the iceberg head-on? In today's Everything You Wanted to Know episode, Tim Moulton answers your questions about the maritime disaster of 1912. He was joined in conversation by BBC History Revealed magazine editor, Charlotte Hodgman.
3: Tim, thank you very much for for joining us today. Um, I think probably, so what we're going to be doing today is uh, we've got some, we've had lots of questions actually from um, readers and social media followers um, around Titanic um, and we've also got some popular search engine questions as well. Um, so I think perhaps if we start with um some of the some of the popular search engine questions, we kind of put a little bit of context around um Titanic. Um, so first off, I mean, how big was Titanic and you know, how was it built, where was it built, that that kind of thing.
2: Sure. Well Titanic was 882 feet long and about 92 feet wide. Mm-hmm. She was built at Harland and Wolf Shipyard in Belfast and um, she was uh, one of a twin, so uh, her other sister was called the Olympic, and they were both uh, the largest ships in the world.
3: So some of our, our followers on Instagram wanted to know um, about the disparities between the classes on board. Um, mm. How how were classes separated, um, you know, during sailing?
2: Well, in 1912, there was quite a rigid class structure on transatlantic liners, And um, in particular, the Titanic had a third class, a second class, and a first class. And um, that was actually very rigidly upheld because there were um, immigration laws into the US, which meant that third class and second class had to be kept segregated. And this was supposed to be to stop the spread of infectious diseases. And therefore, whilst Titanic was on her voyage, um, there were Berthen gates, which were metal gates, drawn across the corridors that separated first, uh, third from second class. However, once there was a distress situation and they decided to abandon ship at about midnight on the 14th of April 1912, they did actually open up those gates. Um, the reason why third-class passengers are sort of shown in films to be locked down behind the gates is because that's what happened in the first 20 minutes after the collision. So Titanic collided at 11.40pm, and then it took them 20 minutes to assess the damage and work out that they were going to abandon ship. And it was only at the point that they worked out they were going to sink that they opened those gates.
3: Right. Okay. Um, And does that explain why so many sort of third class passengers were trapped below decks when it sank?
2: Well, um, I'm glad you said that, Charlotte, because that that is actually a a myth. And hopefully today we'll bust a few myths. But um, Mm. yes, in fact, they sent first and second class stewards down to help the third class stewards to direct third class to the boat deck from um in fact from midnight um and uh, the last uh, titanic didn't sink until two twenty in the morning the reason why so many third class died is a couple of reasons first of all the first class passengers had had access to the boats first because they were physically nearer to the boats there were no actual lifeboats on the third class deck so third class had to sort of find their way up to the boat deck although as i said they did get assistance in that so the first thing is a slightly first-come, first-served is that the first-class passengers and second-class are kind of there, near the lifeboats, as it were. Um, but the other major factor is, um, and the main reason why so many more percentage, more of third-class drowned than first and second, is because they had third class, many of them were traveling with big families. Um, They were traveling for a new life in America. So a lot of them had their children with them. And in fact, in 1912, you were a man when you were 13. So what that means was a lot of women, for example, and, and fathers wouldn't want to part with their 13 year old sons and leave them on the deck of Titanic. So they chose to stay with them. And you can imagine a family such as the Goodwins, who had eight children, um, many of which were under the age of 13. You can imagine that the whole family would choose to stay together rather than separate. And it was for that reason that so many more third class drowned.
3: Right. OK. Um, go about Europe on Instagram. Um, wanted to know what were the prices for the different grades of passage. And I think I'd like to also add um, what would you get for that as well?
2: Absolutely. So, um Third class was, um, in 1912 money, about five pounds. Now, you can actually times that by 100 today to get an idea of what that is in today's money. So let's say equivalent today of third class would be about £500. And um, you can imagine it almost a bit like airfare prices today, if that makes sense. Um, So uh, £500 would have got you um, a nice little bed, a washstand. It should be said that third class on Titanic was as good, if not better, than second class on many other smaller ships. So all the third class would have felt they were in luxury. Third class also had hot and cold running water, which they wouldn't have had in their own homes. So it would really have been luxurious for everyone on Titanic. And then it was about three times more than third class for second class. So second class was about £15, which is about £1,500 in today's money. And then first class was about three times more than that. It kind of goes up by a factor (laughs) of three for 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 each class um, um so you'd be thinking um about five thousand pounds in in today's money for um first class, however, there were some sweets, and they would be about eighty thousand pounds the sweets, wow. but actually. That's a bit like travelling on the Queen Mary II today, for example. Mm. So, in many ways, the prices were not dissimilar from today, but obviously the luxury was much greater. The amount of space you had was much greater in first class, in the suites, and therefore they were perhaps more expensive than even the most luxury cabins today.
3: So, uh, sort of moving on to some some more questions. Then, so um, McMumio on Instagram wanted to know. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the 1997 film Titanic. Um, obviously the the plot is is fiction, but how accurate were the film's portrayals of the ships surrounding as and and the kind of sequence of events
2: um fairly accurate um uh, the film was a great spectacle, and um the sets I don't think the Titanic's ever been recreated so accurately in terms of the sets and the look and feel and the clothes and the you know the the china wear and all that sort of stuff um So that was marvellously done. But obviously for for diehard Titanic fans like myself, I was um, a little bit dismayed that they messed around with the storyline so much because um, obviously for me, um, the real amazing things about Titanic are the true stories. Um, And in in a way, I believe that the truth is always stranger than fiction. Um, So for me, I think one could have made a film as exciting but looking at things which really really did happen um, but that said of course uh, the film brought Titanic to a huge audience um, and I dare say that the film I I would have made would have had less box office success <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, okay and SNCP 2021 um wanted to know is it true that enough lifeboats life could have been fitted but it was chosen not to do so
2: Yes, absolutely. And this is an excellent question. Um, So Titanic was designed at a time when the Board of Trade were reviewing the rules on how many lifeboats you were allowed to carry. And um, um, it's worth going into a little bit of detail on this answer, because it's rather interesting. Um, Basically, if you actually want to have enough lifeboats for everyone on board a ship, you actually need to have enough lifeboats for twice the number of people on the ship. And that's because ships normally list to port or starboard. So they lean one way or the other, in other words. And what that means is it puts out of action all the lifeboats down one side of the ship. So in fact, what the Board of Trade wanted to do is instead of having vessels piled high with lifeboats, making them unstable and requiring a huge amount of crew, To row them in the event of an emergency, what they wanted to do is actually reward ship owners for properly subdividing their vessels and making Mm. vessels have watertight compartments and making the vessels themselves safer. So what they did is they said, if your ship is very well built and passes our tests, which obviously Titanic did, then you are allowed to only carry enough lifeboats that are needed to ferry passengers from the stricken vessel to another nearby ship.
3: Uh, Another question uh, that's been quite popular is is why do you think that this particular sinking uh, looms so much larger in collective memory than than other ship disasters?
2: Absolutely. Well, um, it was one of the worst peacetime maritime disasters in history. It occurred before the horrors of the First World War, where um, obviously thousands and thousands of men died in the trenches, etc. So it was quite shocking for what happened is the Victorians brought on science and progress. The wardians brought on labor laws and they improved diet and life expectancy was going up. And basically, if you like, um, science and, 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 and mankind's ingenuity, if you like, was conquering nature. So they didn't expect that the best they could do, this wonderful ship would actually sink on its maiden voyage before even getting to its destination of New York for the first time. Um, and that was very shocking to people. But the other reason is, which is perhaps slightly deeper, is that Um, as human beings, we love tragedy. There's something about um, the the smallness of of human beings and and the vastness of of nature um, that really appeals to the human condition. So our tragedies today are things like the Titanic. And the Titanic is the perfect tragedy because um, no one was really to blame. Everyone was trying their best and trying their hardest. And really, she sank because of the awesome power of nature.
3: Joe Pierce on Twitter wanted to know um, whether a string quartet actually played on deck of the ship um, as it sunk, or was that a myth and something that's kind of been created for for films?
2: Um, Both. Um, So there was an orchestra on the Titanic, and they did very bravely play to keep people calm and and obviously entertained as well while they were um, cooling their heels uh, and waiting for the, uh, the lifeboats to become ready. Um, however, after the last lifeboats um, were gone from the ship, then the band did stop playing. So the lifeboats had gone, the ship lasted about another half an hour after the lifeboats had all gone and there was no... Um, No playing of instruments at that time. But of course, all the survivors were in the lifeboats. No one survived Titanic who didn't eventually make it into a lifeboat. So the perception was that the band was playing as they left the ship, which is true. Um, But Mm -hmm. it should be noted that um, they did actually sort of rush down to their cabins and get warm things. And um, they strapped their musical instruments to their backs and jumped in the water. And um, in fact, the bodies of um, some of the musicians were in fact recovered after the sinking.
3: Saskia on Twitter wanted to know, um, why did the ship sail so close to icebergs? Was this a calculated risk um, or was the iceberg adrift?
2: (laughs) Well, a a brilliant question, a brilliant question. Um, In a nutshell, it was a calculated risk. So... um, in 1912, you couldn't just sort of sail about anywhere on the on the North Atlantic uh, as a liner, a passenger liner. There was a westbound track to New York, which was laid down as a particular line that ships should follow. And there was an eastbound track from New York, New York to Europe. Um, the tracks were about 60 miles apart. And that was to avoid collisions in fog of ships going different ways. And um, Titanic was right where she should be. She was on her westbound track to New York. Um, they'd had many reports of ice, so they knew they were entering into an ice area. However, the weather was extremely clear. There was no moon, but there were lots of stars out. And, um, the sort of common knowledge, um, among captains in 1912 was in fact that, um, as long as it was clear weather, you would always be able to see an iceberg in time to avoid it. So what the Titanic did instead of slow down is she posted, um, good lookouts in the crow's nest and, um, she darkened down her hatches in front of the bridge so that everything was dark before the bridge to give the officers on Titanic the best night vision. And in fact, even to avoid having any glass in the way, looking ahead, in fact, Murdoch, who was in charge of Titanic that night, actually stood out on the wing bridge um, so that he had an absolutely clear view ahead. And um, unfortunately, they were caught out eventually by the weather conditions. uh, But that's perhaps another part of the question.
3: Right, okay. Um, And... um, was it possible for anyone to to kind of bypass the captain's orders um sort of regarding icebergs and things like that
2: Um, Well, they wouldn't have wanted to because they were all running the ship together. Uh, They all respected Captain Smith very much. They were all very capable officers themselves. Um, In fact, Murdoch was one of the most capable officers. And and in fact, Captain Smith didn't want to sail on Titanic without Murdoch because of Murdoch's experience on the Olympic, uh, which was the same size as Titanic, as as I said earlier. So um, the point being is that they all believed it was safe um, to travel. At that speed, uh, in those conditions, in the ice region. They knew they were getting into the ice region and they were um, keeping a sharp lookout for ice. Um, Unfortunately, um, because of the very cold water they were traveling through, there was a slight haze on the horizon, all around the horizon. And unfortunately, that slightly delayed them seeing the iceberg. And they nearly missed it. They jolly nearly missed it. They just grazed it. And I'm afraid Mm. (laughs) that created a 200 feet of damage along Titanic's hull. And that was only about the equivalent of a sort of fireplace, if you like, in size. But because it was spread out over five watertight compartments, um, it meant that uh, the Titanic would eventually sink.
3: Right. I mean, what sort of um, safety features were in place on, on Titanic to kind of prevent it from from sinking if, if that sort of thing, mm. if it had hit an iceberg?
2: Well, a lot. Um, first of all, she had a double bottom. So Titanic's hull was quite flat-bottomed, um, but it had a double skin. So there was about a, a, a one-foot gap between the outer bottom of the Titanic and the inner bottom of Titanic, and both of them were watertight. Mm. So she had a double bottom. Um, but her double skin did not extend up the size of the vessel. Um, so Brunel's Great Britain and Great Eastern actually had a double skin throughout the ship's. Whereas Titanic, um, possibly to save money, um, had just a double bottom. Um, but what Titanic did have, um, like Brunel ships as well, but she had 15 watertight compartments, and they went right the way up to the deck, um, or nearly right the way up to the top deck, and they were they were to create cells and t- safety cells, if you like. And Titanic could float with any four of her first watertight compartments flooded and she could float with any two compartments in conjunction flooded anywhere in the ship. And this is because the builders thought that the worst thing that would happen to Titanic would be a collision with another vessel on the point where two watertight compartments joined, thus breaching two compartments. Um, What they didn't bank on was the very unusual kind of side swipe disaster which happened to Titanic. And I'm afraid she just wasn't built for five of her forward compartments to be breached. She was built for four of them to be breached, but she was Mm. not built for five.
3: It's incredibly unlucky. Um, So, um, Laura Lees on um, Instagram wanted to know, um, so if, if the ship had hit the iceberg straight on would it have remained afloat?
2: Yes, it would have done. It would have done. Uh, Um. One of the designers of the Titanic, obviously the chief designer of Titanic, uh, Thomas Andrews, actually um, drowned aboard the vessel, uh, died in the sinking. Um, But um, Edward Wilding was another one of the naval architects involved, uh, or marine architects, I should say, involved in the construction of Titanic. And he gave evidence um, at the Titanic inquiry in London. And he did explain that if Titanic had hit the iceberg head on, um, it would have killed all the firemen who were sleeping down in the bow, probably about um, 80 firemen would have been killed, or at least 40, because half of them were stoking, and but half of them were in their bunks. Um, so it would have killed those p- people sleeping in the front, uh, in the bow, and it would have stove in the first 100 feet of Titanic's bow, but it wouldn't actually even have thrown people out of their beds, the impact, because... It would have created a crumple zone in Titanic. So rather like a car decelerating mm. from twenty miles an hour to zero in a hundred feet, it wouldn't feel wouldn't have felt any more of a shock than that.
3: Yeah, I mean, how quickly did people realise that the um, the ship was going to sink and that it was inevitable?
2: Not very quickly at all. Um, in mm. fact, even the captain didn't really believe she was going to sink until midnight, when Thomas Andrews came up from a twenty minute inspection of the vessel and explained to Captain Smith that um, the vessel would be unable to float. Um, And there were several reasons for that. But the main reason was that the weight of water in the first five compartments would eventually be so heavy, if you like, that the bow of Titanic would be dragged under and then it would mm-hmm. tip up and it would put more water into the unbreached um, watertight bulkheads by flowing over the top of those. So rather like an ice cube tray that you might mm-hmm. have in your fridge freezer at home. Um, you know, once the first few cells are are underwater, it will drag in the other cells.
3: Another popular question is kind of around the insurance money. Um, So we've had a few questions on social media asking um, why was the insurance um, increased by White Star Line before it sailed and also how much insurance money was paid out after the sinking?
2: Mm, Sure. So... um People love a conspiracy theory, and this is one of them. this is one of them. um Titanic's insurance was not increased before she right. sank. um People love to sort of think about uh you know sort of scams and things that were going on that were wrong um but I'm afraid that's an armchair view, and uh, that didn't happen. So the first thing is it wasn't it wasn't increased nor nor were the ships swapped or any other sort of nonsense like that that, that people do sense it, talk about on the internet. Um, but what I can tell you is insurance money was paid out. Um, about a million pounds of insurance money was, was paid out.
3: Right. Is, is that, and that was to the White... Who was that paid to?
2: It was mainly um, for passengers for loss of life and loss of belongings and things like that.
3: Right. OK. Um, what and about the mis- cargo. OK. And what about the mystery ship? um that that's Mm. always sort of spoken about um can you sort of go explain a little bit about that
2: yes absolutely so the the so-called mystery ship was was not a mystery um (laughs) she she was um the californian she Mm -hmm. was about 12 miles away from the titanic when she when the titanic collided and um Um, Unfortunately, because of the very cold water conditions that Titanic sank in and because there was actually a slightly warmer air higher up, um, it actually distorted, I'm afraid, um, how they saw Titanic from the deck of the Californian. And unfortunately, um, they thought she was a 400 foot ship about five miles away sinking instead of or, or rather in some sort of trouble rather than the biggest ship in the world, an 800 foot ship sinking 10 miles away. And um, very unfortunately, and this is slightly complicated uh, for listeners, but it's worth it's worth bearing with me on this one. Um, but basically, not every ship had radio in 1912. Only a few of the big ones did. But they knew that Titanic did. Um, and when they looked at this ship that was looking a bit distorted because of the weather conditions, um, they concluded that that was not the Titanic. They therefore made the false conclusion that the ship they were looking at did not have radio. Um, and therefore... They got their Morse lamp out to indicate, to signal to the Titanic. Um, But first of all, the ship they were signaling to was actually twice as far away as they thought it was. Um, Mm. So that made it hard to read. And the other thing is that um, there was very stratified air at Titanic's crash site, and we know that from the survivors seeing smoke in layers and things like that. And unfortunately the slight turbulence in those layers created the stars to flash on and off. And in fact, the uh, survivors said that it was like the stars were Morse coding to each other about the calamity that was happening below. But unfortunately that flashing actually scrambled the sense out of the Morse lamp signals. So it was a series of disasters um, and problems. And the other thing is that when Titanic's rockets were sent up, um, they appeared to be very low-lying. And that's because the rockets were exploding in the warmer air higher up, whereas Titanic was magnified, if you like, in the cold air lower down. So it was a very confusing thing. And then listeners might be thinking, well, okay, but there was a lot going on. So why didn't that ship just come and investigate? Uh, And the answer is that um, Captain Lord had never been in the ice region before. He'd been a bit frightened because he nearly ran into an ice barrier that was three miles wide and 75 miles long that was completely blocking the passage to New York. And he decided that it was better to wait until daylight which was only a few hours away, three or four hours away, he decided it was better to wait until daylight when he could actually go and investigate and do some good rather than risking the lives of his own crew for probably what was a um, a small, a small um, cargo vessel that was getting into some difficulty. You know, he thought it might have lost her rudder or something like that. Um, so he took the decision not to go. Had he realised it was the Titanic, obviously he would have gone and he regretted the decision mm. for the rest of his life.
0: Still to come on the History Extra podcast.
2: There was some flexibility to the cabins on Titanic and we we don't know from the records exactly how they were, um, you know, jigged uh, at the time. So what I'm trying to say is, although there are lots of records, um, there is a lot of uncertainty about what happened as well.
1: We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down
0: Life
2: is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
1: of a detour.
3: Captain Smith has often been made out to be the kind of villain of the um, of the tragedy. Um, mm. You know, what sort of man was he? He was a very experienced man, wasn't he? Um, you know, was was mm. he in any way to blame for what happened?
2: Well, not really. I mean, he was to blame because he was the captain, so ultimately the buck stopped with him, Mm. if you like. Um, But equally, Bruce Ismay was on board, who who was employing the captain and who owned the ship uh so you could argue that he was like a like a super captain if you like and that the the blame lay with him um in fact it was a series of accidents and they were all the most experienced people they were all the best and most reliable people they were all the most skilled people but unfortunately the freak weather conditions in the ice field in which titanic sank caught them all out um without getting too scientific um over the ice field that titanic sank in there was um a thing called a thermal inversion and that creates a thing called abnormal refraction which is a posh word for light bending abnormally and i'm afraid it was that abnormal light bending that i'm afraid meant that they couldn't see icebergs when they thought they could
3: right okay um another question on instagram was um around whether there was an investigation afterwards to determine you know what had happened and whether the ship's design had contributed to the sinking. Mm,
2: that's a very good question and there was. So um in fact quite shockingly within 7 days of the survivors arriving um in New York on the um Cali- on the Carpathia, which rescued them, uh, not the Californian, which didn't rescue them, but the Carpathia, which did rescue them, um, they were all summoned before Senator Smith, who convened a special inquiry. And he interviewed a lot of the officers and passengers of Titanic to try and get to the bottom of the tragedy and what happened. And then, not content with the US inquiry, the British um, Board of Trade had their own inquiry also in 1912 um, about the disaster. So um Titanic disaster is actually one of the best documented in history. Um and in fact we've got a lot of eyewitness testimony that was taken down in those if you like court cases um about the Titanic and that's how we actually know so much about it.
3: Mm. What did they, what did they find? What was the findings of that of that investigation?
2: <sighs> well, um in a way it, it was really found that it was an act of god if you like. It was right. found that it was no one's fault. Um, Although there was another inquiry in um, 1913, which actually found the White Star Line to be negligent in its navigation. Um, I don't actually agree with that finding, but um, nevertheless, that was the finding. So White Star was eventually found to be to blame. Um, But I think people did realise that it was a series of incredible events that came together. And that's why it's a tragedy that we're still talking about today, because there were probably a hundred or a thousand or a million things which contributed to.
3: Yeah. Um <clears throat> Laura Lees on uh Instagram wanted to know whether there were any famous paintings, treasures, jewelry, etc that were they lost in the sinking.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um there were. Um in fact, there was uh, a very famous jeweled book of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam which was a popular publication um at the time obviously an ancient text but a popular popular ancient text at the time and um it was studied studied with all sorts of rubies and precious gems and gold leaf and things like that and that was um the property of a book collector and that was a priceless uh item it was actually going for auction in new york at the time i think the reserve price on it was 200 000, which is about two million pounds for a book today um so that was a treasure which had taken years to make which was lost um also mr carter had a very smart um red car which was um uh, i think it was a renault and that was actually lost in the sinking as well um but in terms of actual artworks i think it was really um there was some priceless works by bacon um of books um but nothing um i'm sure some of the passengers had some valuable paintings which they'd brought brought in europe and things like that but um that was kind of the most, most of the treasures that were lost. Of course, the main thing that was lost, that was of value, um, was all the lives of the women and children and men um, who, who died in, in the ship rather than the actual value of the cargo itself.
3: Yeah, um, which kind of brings me on to uh, some of the, ne- the next questions, which um, Julie Brummel on um, Instagram wants to know um, sort of how many people, well, were people, the people who drowned ever found and, and their bodies retrieved?
2: It's an excellent question and the answer is yes um so um, about 1500 people died in the Titanic tragedy about 700 survived a little bit over 700 survived and um, of course relatives of lost ones wanted um, you know ships to go and look for them afterwards and um, there were a couple of ships that did so the Minia and the McKay Bennett And they went out to the wreck site area and they recovered a number of bodies. I think about 70, but it may be more. Um, It may even be less, but I think about 70. Um, And um, in any event, they recovered a number of bodies uh, and they were then given burials. Many of them were buried at sea. Um, So, yes, they were. They did recover bodies.
3: Mm. Um, And Cameron, uh, John Acton, uh, following on from that, wants to know, what was Halifax's role um, in the recovery operation?
2: Absolutely. Well, um, the rescue ships, as it were, uh, to get bodies, were in fact run out of Halifax. So it was a very important sort of supply station for that. And a number of the bodies which were recovered were actually um, brought aboard uh, onto land at Halifax and um, rather grisly scene, but lots of coffins and things going up to the Halifax cemetery where a number of the Titanic victims um, have headstones and, and, and are in fact buried. So it was a sad mm-hmm. time in Halifax for everyone around the time of the Titanic, but Halifax did play an important role in supporting the rescue and aftermath of the sinking.
3: Yeah, Um, here for Ada, wanted to know, um, is it likely that there were still people alive who were trapped on the ship when it hit the seabed?
2: I think not. I think not. Um, no. (laughs) Um, Titanic sank very slowly, very slowly indeed. And she sank on an even keel. So everyone would have had time to get up to the top deck. Um, and I think, um, I think... Some people may have been trapped um, behind railings and in ropes and things like that as the stern Mm. sank. Um, And many people would have been sucked down with the ship, with the suction, um, as she went down. Um, You know, sucked into portholes and that sort of thing. Um, But most people would have um, been in the water when they when they drowned. Uh, Most people on Titanic, in fact, um, actually died of hypothermia, uh, because the water was below freezing where Titanic sank. And um, in fact, the life expectancy in the water was about 20 minutes, um, if you if you were lucky.
3: Right. Okay. What sort of temperatures are we looking at um, regarding the water Mm. um, and sort of generally?
2: Well, the Gulf, the Gulf Stream water around where the Titanic sank was about. Uh, 10 to 15 degrees celsius so quite sort of you know okay temperature and one Mm. could have lived in that for quite a while possibly two hours um but i'm afraid the titanic sank in a a little tributary a little river if you like of the labrador current which was filled with fresh meltwater from the arctic and that was about minus two degrees um Mm. and i'm afraid the cold water didn't mix very well with the warm water um and so it was just absolutely freezing cold where titanic sank and that's why no one survived who did not eventually make it into a lifeboat. All
3: right, okay. We've got an interesting question uh, from Lua Colt on Instagram. Um it's one that I've heard before is is um how did the chief baker survive despite being drunk? Is that is that like a fact?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, no I think it sort of is. Um he says he had a lot to drink. The problem with that physiologically is that if you do have a lot to drink, it doesn't necessarily help. It can in fact shorten your life expectancy um, in water. I think it's more likely he survived because he was wearing a lot of layers, um, mm. but he does say he was drunk. So if we take him at his word, um, another reason is that we he says that when he stepped off the back of the Titanic, he didn't get his head wet. Um, now, one thing that makes me believe that is, is—is um, well, it was a very calm night and Titanic sank very slowly, so you can believe it from a physical perspective, but also it may have been that not getting his head wet could really have helped to for him to survive for longer. Um, but maybe he did just have so much alcohol in his bloodstream that it acted as antifreeze. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so so what's his story then? Did he claim to have survived the water or did he get onto a live yes. boat?
2: Well, both, both. So he um, he went up to, well, he was having a drink apparently in the pantry uh, towards the back of the ship. He heard everyone running over the deck. To run, to sort of stampede to the back of the ship once all the lifeboats had gone and as the Titanic was dipping down. So he thought, Crikey, and you know, I better get out of here. Mm-hmm. And um, he went up to the rear deck and, and he was standing by the railings at the sort of round counterstone of Titanic. Um, and he decided that it was better to be on the outside of the railings than trapped on the inside. So he, as Titanic tipped up further and further, he slowly climbed over the railings and stood on the back outside of Titanic, almost where it was written, Titanic, Liverpool, on the back of Titanic there, and just rode it like an elevator, as he said, as it went down, and then swam off uh, without even any getting his head wet. And then he swam; he, he struck out and swam to a lifeboat, which there was no room in the lifeboat, um, but eventually um, they made room for him and they pulled him in. Now, he says he was actually swimming in the water for about two hours um, and then he didn't really get in the lifeboat until they were boarding the Carpathia. But um, I'm not convinced that's true. I don't think he could have survived for that long in the water. Um, mm. But certainly he spent some time in the water and then managed to get into a lifeboat. Wow.
3: Okay. Um, why did um, J.P. Morgan and his wife back out of going on the ship? Were they really ill? I guess it's kind of come back to yes. Yeah, kind of no, I think they
2: did. I think I think he did have a head cold. I think uh, he, he had a bit of flu. Um, didn't, didn't feel up to it. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, imagine someone like JP Morgan, he'd actually have loved to have been on the maiden voyage because it was his money that had mm. financed the White Star Line to build the vessel. And it would have been, um. A lot of wealthy people like the Carters and people like that that were on board. The Astors, of course, were on board. Um, So he would have known personally a lot of the first class passengers. So he would have wanted to be there. He had booked his cabin, which you don't do sort of lightly, um, but he certainly didn't cancel out of superstition or anything like that. He cancelled either because he had a cold, or, which I think he did have, or because he was very busy or something else happened with work you can imagine um i'm not Mm. certain of this but i imagine he was in fact on the olympics maiden voyage so titanic's maiden voyage would have been slightly less important than olympics and he might have felt oh i've kind of done that if you see what i mean he was at the launch he was at the launch of both ships as well i think um so yes but that you know thereby he managed to um be saved as it were
3: yeah. Uh, another popular question is whether it's true that um, the engineers and people actually did sort of say that, not, you know, not even God could sink this ship, that it was mm. an unsinkable vessel.
2: Yes. Um, kind of. I can imagine that being said. And um, I- I'm going to say yes, sort of, to that. Yeah. Um, The reason I'm being quite careful on that is that what the White Star Line said was that the watertight subdivision of Titanic rendered her practically unsinkable, okay? So, in other words, what they were saying was she was unsinkable under any circumstances that they could reasonably imagine. The problem is they could not reasonably imagine the circumstance that she did sink under. Um, Mm. So, um, so. Yes, it may well have been said, um, but I think that may have grown a bit in the telling.
3: Okay. Um, So another Instagram question here from Mook Mumio was asking, um, was there sort of survivor's guilt after the tragedy and and was it recognised as such um, at the time?
2: Well, it's interesting. Um, Certainly a lot of the men who survived um, did feel guilty. And uh, you find in their accounts, they explain why they survived and why they, you know, why it was okay for them to survive. They were a bit vilified. A lot of, there was suspicion that men survived, um, the sinking generally. Um, but I don't know about survivor guilt. I think it's more um, what we'd now call post-traumatic stress disorder, um, uh, a bit like shell shock. Mm. And what we did, what we do find is that many passengers never talked about the Titanic because it would bring back, you know, memories and things, um, Um, in fact, there's one story where Lightoller, who is um, Second Officer Charles Lightoller, who was the most senior surviving officer of the Titanic, um, on a hot day in London, um, he went up to have a cold bath. And then he he didn't come down again. And his wife wondered what was happening. And she went up and she found him with a look of horror on his face, almost sort of what we would now call catatonic. And basically, Mm. he thinks that the cold water of the bath brought back to him the absolute horror of him diving into the sea when the Titanic sank. So I think a lot of people lived with the stress for a long time and a lot of people did not talk about it. But actually, I think everyone who survived was actually pretty thankful to survive, Um, uh, you know, when so many people died.
3: Yeah. And what sort of support was given to the survivors? Mm.
2: Well, not as much as would be today, um, but nevertheless, the people mm. of New York were very kind. So um, hospitals uh, gave them beds, uh, hostels as well, uh, and charities gave them beds. Um, many people donated clothes, old clothes and things that were warm and dry for survivors. Um Obviously, the ones who got treated the worst were the crew. Uh, Their pay stopped um, from the moment the Titanic um, slipped uh, under the water. So their pay stopped and they were hustled back to to Southampton on the next ship, pretty much, uh, that they could get away on. Um, So they weren't treated very well. Um, And there were some Chinese survivors, in fact. Um, There were six Chinese survivors and they were all sailors who were bound to go to another ship. And they were not given any help. They never even got into America. They were actually kept on board the Carpathia overnight when she docked and then sent off to their next ship the next day without any any support or or help at all.
3: Wow, gosh. Um so sort of moving on to kind of perhaps the, the present day whereabouts where is the ship now um is it still it's still where it sank yeah on?
2: it's um <clears throat> it's where it sank so she sank in 4149 north and about 4950 west something like that so she's more or less you could say to the nearest degree, she's 42 north, 50 west, basically, which mm. is where the Labrador Current flows into the Gulf Stream uh, on the Grand off the Grand Banks of Newfoundland, um, in the North Atlantic. And she's still there now. Um Bob Ballard found her in I think 1985, but it might have been 1987 it was the 1st of September anyway, Um, he found her and he found her from her debris field. So what he did was he sort of flew, if you like, in his submersible, although it was obviously um, a remote submersible, but he flew along the debris field. So little cups and little bits of almost wreckage, if you like, that was on the seabed. He followed that flume, if you like, as it got more and more dense and he knew that he would end up getting to the ship. And um, he found the boilers and the boilers fell out of Titanic as she tore in part and sank and so the boilers probably would have been filled with water and they would have probably sunk straight down so that was probably the exact spot where Titanic was at 220 in the morning when she broke up Um, although obviously a little bit of current Titanic was two miles deep so you allow a one knot current so they would have also drifted a few meters south Mm. as they uh, kited down to the bottom.
3: Were there any other, any sort of earlier attempts to find, um, the, the wreck, um, and, you know, do anything about it, retrieve things or retrieve the ship?
2: I believe there were. I believe there were. Um, I'm not as expert as I perhaps should be on those earlier attempts, but there were, people were trying to find the wreck from 1912, straight away, people were like, let's find the ship. Um, but technology, you know, didn't really, hadn't really caught up. And, um, Ballard was very clever because he worked for Wood's whole oceanographic institution. And um, he had to go and find a, a nuclear submarine um, that, um, uh, you know, had sunk. And, and, and so his, his job was to find that. And he said to the US Navy, he said, um, if I find the submarine really quickly, can hmm. I use the equipment and manpower and budget that I've saved in finding it quickly? Can I use that to go and find the Titanic? So he made jolly sure, and they said yes, so he made jolly sure he found the nuclear submarine extremely quickly and that gave him a window to then circle back to Titanic's crash site and um, okay. and find her.
3: Right, okay. Um, and, you know, someone else is asking on, on Instagram, um, you know, what will happen to the ship? Will it dis- dis- eventually disintegrate and disappear? Or do you think mm. there will be, you know, will we be able to get any more of the ship up mm. and, and should we? Wow.
0: Well,
2: uh, no, absolutely. V- very interesting point. So, mm-hmm. Titanic sank in international waters. So, in a way, no one owns her, in a way. Um, and sh- there is a sort of treaty between, I think, France and Britain and America and things like that to protect the wreck. Um, but it's a voluntary treaty and not all countries have signed up to it. Um, so, at the moment, there's quite a lot of sort of tourism to the wreck site and there is some removing of artifacts from the wreck site, which is a bit of a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, Uh, She will just rust away eventually. I don't think she's going to rust away as quickly as people say she is. Um, I think there'll still be some metal down there for another one or 200 years. However, um, within 500 years, she probably will have gone completely. Um, And actually, uh, I was talking on uh, another interview the other day about... um, trying to even raise the Titanic and have her back in, uh, in Belfast on the slipway there. And mm. one could actually do that and one could leave the ship site as a um, memorial to those who died and be very sacred about that. Um, but actually one, I think we should actually preserve what is left of Titanic now and carefully lift her. And mm. it wouldn't cost as much as making the next blockbuster film about the Titanic.
3: <laughs> do you think that's likely to happen? Is that, you know, is that something that might happen?
2: I, I think it could. I think if I put a lot of effort yeah. into it, it probably would but um, yeah. I'm probably busy with other things at the moment. but <laughs> um, if anyone's listening who would like to uh, raise the Titanic, then come and talk to me and we'll do it.
3: <laughs> okay. Um, so just, just we've just got a few um, sort of popular search engine questions that would be will be quite good to um, to kind of to deal with. Um, how did Titanic compare to the size of the kind of the cruise ships that we we have today?
2: Well, she was about the same size as quite a famous liner um called the Canberra, okay? So the answer to that would be she's quite a lot smaller, about a half the size of a sort of um, very large crude carrier. So mm. she's she's smaller. So she would she would seem today to be um a sort of like a small cruise ship if you like not a giant giant cruise ship um so ships now can be a sort of thousand feet long some of them can be 1500 feet long and titanic was 800 nearly 900 feet long so Mm. um she would still seem big but if she was moored next to a giant oil tanker she would actually seem quite um you know not not so huge
3: okay um another question um is um how many dogs survived the, the sinking or did any <laughs> dogs survive?
2: Um no dogs survived. Um they were kept in a cage on the deck and they were set free. Uh well, we're told they were set free at the end. I, I can imagine that. I, I can actually imagine that happening. Mm. Um and there were reports of bodies found clinging to dogs um in the water, uh, but the dogs would have also succumbed to freezing quite quickly as well um so n- none of the dogs survived oh actually okay. actually actually i think actually I'm, I'm i'm telling a lie because i think one of the first class ladies had a pecanese a little pecanese lap dog and i uh, think okay. she actually took it in a lifeboat with her and um she was a bit ridiculed for having saved her her little dog um so i think i'm going to revise that to one Um, uh, but if anyone's listening and wants to tweet back that you know that it was more or less i'd be happy to hear from them
3: okay um and just finally um do we have like an inventory of you know things like how many dinner plates bath towels and things like that that were actually on board titanic i I don't
2: i don't think so really um I mean, I think with a lot of work in the archives, one could find quite a lot of evidence about, for example, Olympic mm. and how much of these things she had. And Titanic would have had almost exactly the same numbers of all those things. Um, but it's a very complicated yeah. thing. Like, no one knows how many people uh, did, in fact, survive the Titanic. No one knows the exact number. Um, literally, we'll never know now who how many people actually survived. Um, and also... It's unclear actually exactly how the cabins were arranged on Titanic because there was some flexibility to the cabins on Titanic. And we, we don't know from the records exactly how they were, um, you know, jigged uh, at the time. So what I'm trying to say is, although there are lots of records, um, there is a lot of uncertainty about what happened as well.
3: Why don't we know um, for sure how many people survived? I mean, actually, there's there's kind of debate as well as to how many people were on board, weren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the
2: the number I go for is 2,227 on board, um, but that's not exact. And the number I go for is 705 survivors, but that is not known exactly. Um, Could have been 711, for example. Um, And I think the reason is that um, when you're keeping records of that many people coming and going and toing and froing, it there is you know, like, for example, there were some firemen who were late and who didn't get on. There were a couple of people who got off in Ireland that were supposed to not have got off in Ireland, for example. Um, So what I'm saying is, there's probably a grey area of about 10 to 15 people that you're just not quite sure were they supposed to be on but weren't on. Um, You know, were they on or not? Um And there are other things like some survivors very sadly died in the lifeboats of exposure. So then it's like, are they a survivor or are they a victim? Obviously, they're a victim. But but what I mean is, you know, it's quite difficult to know exactly. Um, and and, and I, th- I suppose at the end of the day, you, you might want to say poor, poor record keeping, actually. Um, but I think it's more likely that even if a, a, a giant aircraft crashed today, it, you might not be absolutely sure if a certain family was on it or not that was supposed to be on it, for example.
0: That was Tim Moulton. Tim is a leading expert on the Titanic and the author of several books about the subject, including 101 Things You Thought You Knew About the Titanic But Didn't. He also contributed to an essential guide to the Titanic in the July issue of BBC History Revealed, which also includes features on The Vikings, Lady Jane Grey and The Bloody Code. You can find that on sale now. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley. Join us tomorrow when I'll be speaking to Alice Roberts about prehistoric Britain.